Welcome to Synergetic Culture, where we exist to provide practical and tangible content to help you build a synergetic culture. Here's the dichotomy though. Culture is formed either by design or by default. A culture by design, when adopted by the people within the culture, has a multiplying effect in the way it builds the organization and the individuals within it. And this, my friends, this is a synergetic culture. So how do we create a culture by design? What fundamentals and tactics and principles build a synergetic culture? Well, you've come to the right place. So no matter where you find yourself in your career, this podcast is for you. And with that being said, let's jump into today's episode of Synergetic Culture. Welcome to episode 37 of Synergetic Culture. I'm your host, Adam Bieber, and I'm sitting across a very special guest who I will introduce in a minute, but today's episode is going to be unique. I will set the table with that. I um, typically, when I have a guest on, will ask some questions and we'll learn more about that guest and try to gain some um, just input and advice from someone else's life experiences and what they've been through. And so um, typically that's how it works. Well, my friend Hudson here, Hudson Hosney, is a senior in high school and has an assignment for one of his classes where he has to interview someone podcast style. So he reached out to me and asked if he could uh, uh, come over and, and jump here in the in the podcast studio and record an interview with me. But what changes the game a little bit is contrary to how our normal interviews go, Hudson's actually going to interview me and ask me a series of questions to hopefully gain more insights and learn some life lessons um, that I've um, learned along the way. So Hudson, before we get started, welcome to Synergetic Culture. Thank you. Um, just to put a little more light on the project, uh, basically my teacher said we need to interview someone that we are close to in like relationships. So like they can feel like a family member or something like that, but someone you also don't know very well. Cool. So the first reason why I thought of Adam is like I go to we we've been on a few retreats together. Yep. We hang out a lot. So but I don't know him on a deeper level. Yeah. So I wanted to get that today. Well, and when you asked me to do this, I thought, well, this would actually be a really unique way to um, both kind of have a win here because you'll have a sweet uh, file that you can turn in for your assignment. But then also we can put this up on the actual podcast and um, some of the listeners can hear some of these questions that you have and hear some of my experiences. I tend to share bits and pieces here and there as they apply to the content, but it's um, this will be the first time in 37 episodes that someone has sat down and asked me questions. So it'll be interesting and unique. Um, we should be together for about an hour. And um, dude, I'm excited. Thanks for thanks for asking me to do this with you. Yeah. So um, you ready to get started? Are you ready to get started? I'm ready. I'm ready. The floor right. is yours. This is your so, assignment. So you jump in. First question is, where did you grow up? Okay, great question. I grew up on Oahu, Hawaii, um, in a small town called Kailua, and um, spent a majority of my early childhood growing up there. My mom was born and raised in Hawaii. She's Hawaiian. Um, my dad got to Hawaii via the military. He was stationed there in the late 70s, early 80s as a Marine. And, um, after being stationed there, decided he really liked it and wanted to stay in Hawaii. So he stayed, met my mom, they started a family, um, grew up there with, 
uh, four siblings. I got two brothers and two sisters. And so, um, yeah, that was my early childhood. And then at 10, uh, we left Hawaii, which was a big jump, big leap and, um, moved to California for a couple of years, which was an interesting time period of my life. And then, um, after that, right around the age of 12, we moved to Georgia and I've been in Georgia kind of off and on for almost 20 years now. So grew up a little bit all over the place. Yeah. All right. Um, I can say that I can relate a little to that. I've yeah. bounced around, I've bounced around my fair share, but the second question is, uh, like, what was your upbringing? Like, like school, faith, faith wise, stuff like that. Sweet. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I have, um, uh, four siblings, so I'm the fourth out of five. Um, so I was one of the younger ones. Um, the girls are the oldest and then I got an older brother and a younger brother. And so, um, our upbringing was fun. Um, you know, I, I played a lot with my siblings. Um, we, uh, we were very creative, um, found ways to, um, just be, uh, use our imagination and have fun. We played outside a lot. Uh, the last house we lived in in Hawaii, we lived on this lane that was like off of a main road. And so it was pretty safe to just play out on the, on the street, but it was our lane with like, I don't know, eight houses on it. And so, um, we were down towards the cul-de-sac and so we would just play outside until our parents called us inside. And sometimes we'd try to stay out as late as possible and see if they noticed we weren't in the house. And, um, yeah, man, it was, um, it was fun. And then for school, my parents have, have both been involved in uh, Christian education, like my whole life, um, a lot of their adult life. And so, um, my dad was an administrator and my mom was a teacher. And so me and my siblings all went to the school that my parents taught at. And, um, so I would say I was a pretty decent student early on. Um, as I got older, I struggled a little bit with, um, just, uh, so, <laughs> Later in life, I'll get diagnosed with ADHD, like mid twenties. But before that I was, I struggled with taking tests. I struggled with certain subjects and um, just had a hard time. And so, um, because we moved a lot, um, after we left Hawaii, I, um, stopped going to like regular school and was homeschooled, uh, by my parents. And so they gave me the option once we got to Georgia to go to, uh, the local school where I grew up here, but by that point, I kind of settled into a rhythm and figured out like how to learn and how to, um, how to knock out the the school that I needed to and got very good grades. And so it was, um, you know, school wise was decent, grew up in church. Um, my family, uh, was very involved in our churches growing up. So in the different States we've lived in, we've always had a kind of a home church. And so, um, I would say probably the most impactful, um, church experience came when I was in middle school, um, uh, here in Georgia and, um, the pastor that of the church that my family was attending at the time, this is the first time I can ever remember actually paying attention and trying to learn during a sermon. Uh, before it was just kind of a time to zone out, you know, color, do whatever as a little kid. <laughs> but this is the first time I was actually like interested in paying attention to what, uh, his name was pastor Jim, what he was saying. And I'll never forget. There was one time he, uh, he was getting ready to preach and he handed me his notes and he said, see, see, follow along and see how I do. And it was wild to me how much he had prepared to where he knew his notes, like the back of his hand. It was so cool. He did, he went up there and didn't need his notes cause he had them memorized. And it kind of was the first like window into like 
getting curious about how you would write a sermon or a talk or a speech. And um, it left a pretty big impact on me. So I hope that answers the question a little bit. Oh, yeah. That, I don't know if you have any like follow that's up a good, questions. That's a good answer. Um, so now we're going to dive a little deeper. Okay. What is like the biggest regret you have? That's a tough one. Um, I, I try to, you know, no regrets, <laughs> but <laughs> I try to live without regrets um, and realize that even when I may have made mistakes and I've made a lot of them, um, that they're learning experiences and they've helped shape me into who I am. Um, that's helped me to not grow up bitter or um, uh, maybe angry with certain outcomes um, because I've seen how, you know, for me, uh, being a person of faith, I see how there's a bigger picture and how it's unfolding. Um, but there's a couple of things that do come to mind. Um, one of them was, I think I was in high school, maybe a little after, I can't remember the year that, um, ended up being Kobe Bryant's last year in the NBA. The season had started and my brother and I looked at tickets because we were in Atlanta and the the Lakers were going to come play the Hawks. And we're like, you know what? We should probably snag some tickets because this, we don't know how many more seasons we're going to have with Kobe and we should probably go watch him play because we had never seen him play live and we were big Kobe Bryant Lakers fans. So we talked about it, but we never did it. And then a couple weeks go by and he announces that it's going to be his last season. And so then every city he goes to is like a farewell tour. And um, he's getting these amazing ovations and packed stadiums. And it truly was like remarkable to watch. But the tickets went through the roof. And so my brother and I never went and I never got to see him play live uh, before he retired. And then never got to actually see him live in person, um, you know, speaking at anything or at any type of event before he passed away. So that's um that was a tough, I mean, you know, what. I think that's the most like impactful uh, mainstream icon that um, like I actually had a pretty emotional time when he passed away and when, when that helicopter accident happened. Um, and that was an interesting moment because I've never, I mean, we, we see celebrities and public figures um, where something tragic happens and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Oh, but yeah. this one like wrecked me. And, um, so when I think back to it, I'm like, man, I wish I would have seen Kobe play live. There's a couple of other, like more so just like dumb type decisions. Um, (laughs) don't worry. We're getting into that. Yeah. Some that like, uh, some I'll share some, I won't. Um, that's fair. You kind of asked if there were anything, is there's anything off limits before we hit record? And I said, no, but that doesn't mean I'm going to share everything. So yeah, I um, completely understand. But yeah, so that's, um, I think if there's another like regret, I, 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 um, I used to be very accident prone, um, but I was also just making stupid decisions. And so, um, I've broken bones, broken my nose. Um, I went cliff jumping and thought it'd be cool to do a front flip, but because I didn't judge the fall, I did one and a half front flips and landed on my face and blew out my eardrum and had to go to the emergency room. Could have been really devastating. So a couple of dumb things like that. And then, um, man, just to be honest and transparent with you early in my, uh, my, my late teens, um, early twenties, uh, I enlisted into the military 
and kind of came up with this idea that if I'm going to go fight for my country, I should be able to do what all adults do. And so I started drinking and um, maybe not making the best decisions at 18, 19 years old. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I think when I look back on it, there was really nothing glamorous about it. Um, I thought it would, um, I thought it would be fun. And, um, really I just look back and I see a stupid, immature child. So, um, I don't know. I don't know that I regret it just because, I mean, nothing like devastating happened, but, um, I don't think it was wise. All right. So <laughs> I asked this because my entire the entire reason why I'm doing this today is outside of the project. The project needs to have a topic. That topic today is life lessons. Yeah. So I quickly learned in life that life lessons can often come from regret, mistakes, or achievements. Yep. And I looked up a statistic. I can't remember the statistic. It's okay. You can make them up. Yeah. But um, there's a significant amount of people learn better from regret than anything else. Sure. So sure. I would I would change the word from regret for myself and and make the word be adversity, um, because I've learned a ton from adversity and have faced a lot of adversity, um, at least from from my perspective. Um, I'm not, I'm never going to be the person that wants to compare war stories, compare pain, compare trauma, but I've gone through a lot of adversity and, um, and so that's probably where I've done the most learning and growing. So if you want to tackle some of the adversity, would be happy to jump into some of that stuff. We we might jump into some of that stuff, Cool. but, uh, the reason why I asked, uh, the regret question is like, what did you learn from it? What did you take away? Yeah. Um, I think what I've learned is sometimes things are best learned from experience. And sometimes that experience in the moment is a negative consequence. So, um, like I'll never forget when, um, uh, I was making some dumb decisions at 19 and my mom found out and to watch her heartbreak and her eyes fill with tear fill with tears um because she had worked so hard her and my dad had worked so hard to raise me and um and there I was just making dumb decisions and being an idiot and it it broke her heart and um that was that was hard to see like you never want to see someone you love hurting and you never want to disappoint people and um as a uh as someone who uh, is a people pleaser and I just want, I'm a peacemaker. I want everybody to be good. Um, it was hard for me to see, um, my parents disappointed. Um, so I think if I were to, you know, real looking back, it's, it's realizing that that was a good teacher for me to learn about, um, I mean, really just thinking before making decisions, thinking before, asking myself, is this helping me or hurting me? Is this giving me uh, life or does this have potential to do damage? And it's not just about me. Like if there's other people involved, does this help them or does this potentially have um, the potential to harm them? Um, and so um, I think it made me more empathetic and more um, socially aware of when my, my decisions had negative consequences. And I'll tell you, uh, at 31 years old, I'm still 
learning just how impactful um, uh, consequences can be, both negative and positive. All right. Um, <coughs> just to jump into the next question after yeah. that is what risks did you ever take? Like even like if it's just like you mentioned cliff jumping earlier. <laughs> um, yeah. But also like any financial risk, anything like that as well. Yeah. I mean, early, early in my life, um, I think through high school, probably the biggest risk that I took was, um, well, there's a couple, I would say one was getting involved in sports cause I wasn't raised, um, uh, an athlete. I, I loved playing outside and I had brothers, so we'd wrestle and, you know, just be boys. Um, but I was never in any organized sports until I got in high school. And if anybody out there has played tackle football to start in high school is crazy because you're way behind all, most of the guys I played with had been playing since they were eight and nine years old. And here I am at 15, 16 years old, trying to put shoulder pads on for the first time, put a helmet on. And, um, it was, it was hard. Like it challenged me. It, it pushed me way out of my comfort zone. Uh, the first year I played every single practice, every single game, I hated it. Uh, but my parents, uh, instilled in me a, um, resilience and commitment to what I've, what I've set out to do. And so, um, I didn't have the option to quit. Um, if they gave me the option, I probably would have, but they, uh, they not only told me I had to power through that one year my mom said, you got to play two because you never know what could happen if you, uh, if you just go off of that one negative season, that one negative experience. So I fought that for a while and then finally we just sucked it up and was like, okay, I'm going to play two. And then, um, ended up having a rock star, uh, junior year, uh, ranked in the state at defensive end, um, for all of high school football. I think I was like 28 in the state at defensive end and we got a lot of football here in Georgia. Oh yeah. And so that was really cool. Like I just racked up tackles and it's like a beast, uh, woke up inside of me. And so, um, it was kind of a risk, um, taking event for me that pushed me out of my comfort zone and, uh, handed me a lot of adversity and a lot of physical pain, but also emotional and, and stress. Um, just that, that full contact sport gives you. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, I got involved. I've, I'd always been involved in church growing up, but I started to get involved serving in high school and, um, uh, so I would volunteer in the kids church or volunteer, um, in the middle school service as a, a small group leader, um, and got the opportunity to go on two mission trips. Uh, one was my junior year, went to Guatemala, uh, Guatemala city, Guatemala, um, to a very dangerous part of Guatemala. Um, and that was a very risky, but exciting and life changing event. And then uh, my senior year, I got to go to um, the Dominican Republic and both were very different, very unique experiences. But from that, I learned a lot about myself. Um, I got to write and preach my first sermon, which was really cool. Um, I, uh, I worked with my youth pastor at the time and we actually wrote a sermon series and he let me and the other, some of the other guys um, help lead it, which was really cool. We came up with some really cool ideas and wrote some very, fun and original content, which was, which was really sweet. Um, and, uh, I think going out of your comfort zone can feel like a risk anytime you do. And it's in those moments that I think people are stretched and they grow. And I've most certainly, um, experienced some 
like I said, life-changing things on those mission trips um, that would then, I think, set the set the table for me to experience a lot of adversity after I graduated high school. I think without those experiences um, going on mission trips, I don't know that I would have handled the adversity I'd faced at, at 19, 20, um, 23, 24, 25, um, some very tough years in my life. I don't know that I would have been able to handle them with the same perspective had I not gone on those mission trips. So, um, yeah, those, those were kind of the early risks. Um, then kind of going past that, um, I am a very impulsive person. That's kind of one of the, uh, results of having ADHD is you can do things just on impulse. Yes. And, um, at, at its core, I believe I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but, um, or a doctor, but ADHD stems from a deficiency to dopamine and oftentimes, uh, uh, impulse and risk spike dopamine levels, which kind of get you excited. Um, and so that's why like, I'd go cliff jumping and, um, <laughs> you know, uh, probably why I bought a motorcycle a couple of years ago. And, um, but being aware of that, um, uh, later in life, I would, um, I would take on different risks like moving, um, at, at uh, around 20 years old, I, I left Georgia and moved back to Hawaii to live with family. Um, I did it on a whim, like someone, my aunt who was living over there called and asked me if I wanted to move over there and live with them. And she offered me a job and I was like, let me think about it. I thought about it for like 24 hours. And then I booked a flight for like four days later, packed up my apartment, put everything in my parents' attic and moved. So, um, I started to take bigger risks as I got older. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I feel like, um, uh, some of the most exciting times of my life have come from kind of stepping out into unknown territory and just being brave and, and believing that the, the best result can come and facing adversity head on sailing straight into the storm and, um, knowing that, okay, if I've gotten through what I've gotten through thus far, I'm going to get through whatever it is that's in front of me. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I share something? Real quick? <coughs> Please. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I can honestly relate to that because uh, when I was younger, starting high school, I think my freshman year, I moved here in the middle of COVID. Mm. And then uh, that next year, I was like, cool, I need something to put down on college applications. Because <laughs> I had nothing jack squat because all the clubs were shut down during COVID. Mm. So... I got, I had to find something and I had to find something quick. Yeah. I was involved in band and they were promoting marching band. I was like, Oh, this is probably going to be like quick and easy. <laughs> I was very wrong. So you um, hadn't done band before high school, uh, started my eighth grade year. Okay, cool. And then kind of sucked at it and then got to high school and still kind of sucked at it. But yeah. And then once I got, that first day of marching band, I, I showed up a week late as well because I was at a uh, church camp. But that first week of marching band was probably the worst week I've ever I had. I bet it was hard. Yeah. It was nice 95 degree weather. 
out on parking lot asphalt. It was terrible. Oof. We we were doing all sorts of stuff, and I was just trying to catch up. I was like, well, what what's this? What's this? What's this? I have no idea how to do any of this. Yeah. And I'm very lucky because I had some, I had a kid. His name was Jesse. He was a year above me. He was a junior then. And nice. then he basically just took me under his wing. And I found out later, Jesse is nationally ranked tuba player. Nice. Like he, he's played in the White House for like presidents. Presidents. Cool. And he's like joined so many orchestras, symphonies. And I found out like this massive dude who could have helped anyone else helped the worst player ever. And now look at you. You're a section leader in your senior year and got a couple of practices left and what, like three games left, two games left, two games left. So that's, um, that's pretty cool. So you've stepped into something very unknown, been stretched, been uncomfortable, but, but have been able to embrace it. And now it's like part of who you are. Oh yeah. Uh, If I'd never joined that, I wouldn't have gotten into like drumming or Mm -hmm. because now that's what I do regularly instead of just doing tuba 24 seven. Nice. But, uh, you ready for the next question? Sure. All right. Next question is if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Ooh, that's loaded. That is a very, I know it's on the list that you gave me, but I didn't really think this one through too much. If you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Like anything, like it can be multiple things as well, but, it could be something as simple as like financial situations throughout life or yeah, maybe just emotional states, processing, stuff like that. Sure. So I've shared on this podcast before about um, my struggle with anxiety and that I've had panic attacks. Um, what's weird, I don't know if it's weird, but it feels weird to say out loud. I don't regret any of that stuff. Because I think it's shaped me into who I am now. I think it's helped grow my empathy and my ability to connect with people. Um, so I don't even I don't even necessarily regret that. I think um, if, if I could go back and change something, it it would be uh, there were several attempts to um, succeed career wise in my twenties that just didn't work out. For various reasons. Um, in one scenario, I was uh, working for a, a general contractor and we were building houses, but the houses weren't selling. And I can do math. And so, and I started having um, contract, uh, some of our contractors come up to me and ask me why they haven't been getting paid. And so I could see the writing on the wall, but when I got laid off from that job, it still hurt. And, um, scenarios like that that played out in my 20s where I I thought I had found something that I could run with not necessarily like oh this is it this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life but just like hey this is going to be a great spot for me to be for a while and um, that was hard I um, I tried and failed at several things um, before before figuring out some things that do work Um, again I think a lot of those experiences helped me to build resilience and to know that I can endure hardship. Um, there are, there are men who go through their entire careers, never once being laid off. I've been laid off four times. 
So like that type of like emotional stress and financial stress and pressure. Um, and at the time it was during my first marriage and that was a very difficult season of my life. And, um, and so having a bunch of financial stress and pressure didn't help that there was, you know, marital and relational stress and pressure too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe I would ease up on some of that. <laughs> um, cause some of the things felt like, uh, they were pretty, pretty tough gut punches, but, um, again, I think, I think some of those things that, uh, to escape the pain I would change, um, have made me into who I am today and who I'm going to continue to develop and become. Yeah. All right. Um, and real quick for the younger people who are, might watch this. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into like relational stress or sure. anything like that? Sure. Cause my main question is I'm in a relationship right now. Yep. And I'm fully aware. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're on the list of people to contact if it goes wrong. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad. But, um, main thing is like where, or what type of relational, right? Like what are the types of relational stress? Hmm. So, or at least like something that in a relationship has stressed you out or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'll share a little bit. Um, I haven't gotten into detail about a lot of this stuff uh, publicly or on, on a microphone. Um, the ones that are closest to me know, um, my wife now knows, um, you know, like there's, there's, um, but there's, there's stuff that, um, uh, relationally, I just wasn't mature enough to understand or see. And, um, I think it led to some challenges. So I, um, I actually got married when I was 22 years old. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. 22. And, um, at the time I uh, got married to my high school sweetheart and, um, we were very young, but we'd been together a long time and felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, we uh, had been through some adversity. Um, she had a very difficult uh, home life and I had a, a couple of challenges early in my twenties. Uh, my military experience was, um, very challenging for me. And so, um, getting married super young, um, you only know what you know and there's excitement um, but I can say that, um, I didn't know a lot. I didn't know, um, I, I guess I would say what's, what's important in a, a partner and someone that you're going to spend what you hope to the rest of your life with or the rest of their life with. And, um, and very quickly I learned the hard way what toxic behavior was. And, um, I will never on a microphone, throw my ex-wife under the bus. She's the mother of my son and I truly want the best for her. But I think both of us were young and didn't know how to, in a healthy way, communicate and advocate for each other. And, um, there's a lot of things below the surface that took place in, in her childhood and my childhood that played into how we reacted and responded. But, those are, um, I, I heard a great quote. Um, uh, my wife says it all the time. Uh, my wife, Katie, now she says it all the time. She says your past explains you, but it doesn't excuse you. 
I think she got mm-hmm. that from her pastor growing up. But so what I've been through explains like, you know, where, where she and I had been, my ex-wife, where she and I had been, what, what we had gone through explained why we were in such a traumatic uh, relationship, such a toxic relationship. It didn't excuse it. It didn't make it okay. And um, <clears throat> I can almost boil it down to a handful of things that are, I think, crucial to having a healthy relationship and to not have to go through relational regret or relational pain. Um, and um, one of those things is um, having true respect and um, honor for each other. And the way I describe those two is respect is how you treat me when you're with me. Honor is how you treat me when you're not with me. And um, I've learned both of those uh, through through some very difficult um, experiences. Things that were done to me and things, honestly, that I've done to others. Um, but th- that's crucial. That's so important. Um, so if there's somebody that's in a relationship uh, and they don't, they're, they're not being treated with general care and respect and honor, then it's worth it to get some help. I'm not going to be here. The one that sits here and is like, just get divorced or break up. But, um, I will say get some help. And, um, that's the other thing that I think, um, we want to talk about regrets. Now that I'm thinking about it, this would probably be something that I wish I could go back and do differently. Um, just for the sake of saving pain. I don't, I don't regret where I am today. Just, I want to, I want to say that clearly. Yeah. I have the most amazing five-year-old son from my, my first marriage and my, my ex-wife. And we work really hard to try to co-parent the best that we can. He's incredible. No regrets with that, with that marriage, with that, that child. Um, I also believe that I am in the place I'm supposed to be now. And I have zero regrets or hesitation about being married to Katie today. Um, because this is what a healthy relationship is supposed to be and how it's supposed to look. But with that being said, one thing I failed to do early was ask for help. I was trying to muscle it on my own. I was trying to manage my anxiety and my panic. I was trying to manage the unhealthy nature of my marriage on my own because in my eyes, if I had to tell someone what was going on, then they would see me as a failure. And that poked at a very deep, deep um, insecurity and wound for me that I'm not enough. And so why would I tell someone, hey, I don't, my marriage isn't going well and we've only been married for six months and I don't know what to do about it. Or, hey, I'm having panic attacks and I'm trying different medicines and nothing's working, but I did take one medicine and it kind of helped, but it's supposed to be an antidepressant, but I'm not depressed, but it made me gain a bunch of weight. So now I feel depressed and I'm pissed because I'm fat. And like, it was just like a spiral and I just didn't have the wherewithal to grab the, the people that got a place in my life and say, I need help. Um, would that have changed anything? I don't know. Would I change anything about how things played out? No, I wouldn't. Um, but I will say now looking back and after going through some other things, asking for help is truly the best thing you can do. Like you, you can lay your pride down and just say, Hey, I need help. I'm not okay. Um, this is, this is rocking my world. Being able to do that 
with someone that's safe, that's, that's appropriate, that's healthy, um, is probably the best way to handle and face adversity. So many people try to muscle it themselves. They try to take on the weight of the world when our world, the way that we live in it today is so freaking overwhelming. And God designed us as relational beings and as people that are supposed to be in community and people instead isolate themselves and say, I just have to, I just have to manage and deal with all of this. And that's what I've done for so long. That's what I did with my stress recently. In the last couple of years after getting divorced, very stressed, I just tried to muscle it on my own and it, it just never works. <clears throat> so I would say when it comes to relationships, cause that was your initial question. Um, since we're guys, I can address the guys are, are, yeah. we have to be willing to ask for help. We have to be willing to admit that we don't have it all together and that things aren't okay. And the moment we can do that and not do it from a place of victimhood, but do it from a place of transparency so that we can truly become victors, not victims. There's two ways that you can handle adversity. You can either be victorious or you can be a victim. And I promise you victims get stuck. And so how do we be victorious? Well, we, we be transparent. We share what's happening. Um, Everyone doesn't need to know everything, but somebody should, there should be a close circle that does. And, um, I am so freaking thankful for the fact that I have a close circle of a handful of people that truly know the good, the bad, and the super ugly, and they still love me and support me and want me to be the best version of myself. And when I fail, they pick me up, they build me up. Um, and so that helps with like relationships, not tied to, um, a like boyfriend, girlfriend, engaged, married type relationship. That could be like a friendship too. Oh yeah. So, um, man, that's kind of almost a, um, a little soapbox passion point of mine, um, that you just hit on because if we're going to get through life as it is today, um, and it's not just about getting through life. It's about being whole and being fulfilled in life as we, you and I seek to do what we feel like God's called us to do. I think there should be some valid validation in that. But um, in order to do that, we have to be excellent relationally. Um, The other thing is honesty, just doing what you say and saying, uh, being someone of integrity and um, follow through. Um, And that's uh, the integrity piece connects to the honor. Um, if you are in a relationship, then how are you honoring that person when they're not there with you? How are you, um, honoring them and respecting them when they are there with you? Um, and there were little things in my early twenties and in my first marriage where it was just the way we spoke was not appropriate, was not healthy, was not life-giving. And it's kind of surreal to be in a healthy marriage now where there are days where I'm like, oh my gosh, like. I could almost see where I would have reacted differently 10 years ago, but I'm a totally different person now and I don't even get bothered or I don't get, it's not a pinpoint. It's not, it's not something that I like. And, and my wife is amazing. She's so respectful and honoring and she builds me up. But even then, like there are times where we miss each other communication wise. Oh, I've got a great example. Can I share this example? I know I'm rambling. Go ahead. So, uh, hilarious. She ordered swag 
for this podcast. So I now have a sweatshirt that says synergetic culture. I've never had any piece <laughs> of swag in two years of almost two years of doing this podcast. So, um, she orders the swag and, um, I have to go pick it up. We got a friend that does local printing. And so she's like, Hey, go up to this address boxes on their front porch, just grab it. Um, so I pick it up last week and she says she we're texting and she says, um, did you pick up the, the sweatshirt? And I said, yes. And, um, she said, I want to see. And I sent a picture of the logo, um, on the sweatshirt. And there was one piece of the logo. It's it, it because of the way it printed, it printed a little bit off, but it was fine. But I wanted her to see like, Hey, you see where like it kind of got a little messed up. Like it's no big deal, but I just showed her, I'm like, Hey, um, you can see the top line of this side of the logo is not there because it's printing white on white, but you know, whatever. Yeah. But then in my mind, she had said she wanted to see it. And I thought that she wanted to see it on me. So I just wrote back, I'm not wearing it. Well, she took that as me being like the logo's messed up. I'm not wearing this sweater. Uh, and yeah. so she like communication. We just missed each other. Cause we were texting. Now she could have been, she could have popped off on me. And rightfully so, if that was truly how I was responding, like that would have been so crappy of me to respond that way. And uh, she called me. She was like, hey, are you OK? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And she was like, do, do you hate it? And I was like, no, it's tight. I love it. And I was like, I'm I, as soon as we get home, I'm going to change for tonight and I'm going to wear it tonight. And she was like, oh, she's like, I thought I thought like with your text, you saying I'm not wearing it, like, like that you weren't ever going to wear it. And I was like, no, I'm so sorry. I was like, oh my gosh, total miscommunication. It's little things like that, that people will just blow out of proportion. Oh yeah. And all it takes, I use this phrase a lot in business. Clarity is king. Like most of the time when there's conflict relationally, it's because something's not clear. And so I tried to be as clear as I can. And even then in a text message, I totally failed. My mind was somewhere else. Hers was somewhere else. <clears throat> and I failed to communicate. And so that's just a little example of like how important the respect and honor and care and true um, consideration for the other. And then when it comes to like a, a romantic relationship that leads to marriage in a marriage, it's sacrificial. Like some days it's not. It's not like the easiest thing to, um, uh, the easy thing should be easy, but sometimes you got to go out of your comfort zone or go out of your preference to do something that you know means a lot to the other person. Um, and so that's how you can show love to them. You know how they want to receive love. You know how they, uh, what means a lot to them. And even if like, for me, it's no big deal if, um, the bed is made or not. I'm going to go as soon as we're done recording, make the bed before she gets home from work so that it's made when she gets home. Cause that means a lot to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was a long tangent on relationships. I could go forever, yeah, but I'd, yeah, it's like your thing. You kind of know a lot about it. So yeah, I wasn't going to stop you there. Yeah. <laughs> but now back to questions. Yeah. Go for it. Um, so I'm going to give you an option for one. Okay. Two options. Okay. So the first one is, do you regret anything in high school? The other one is, if you, and again, this one's an either or, so you can either do that one yeah. or where did you see like your life switch? Um, I'll do the life switch. 
Um, so I think the first, cause you, you'll have many, you'll have many like moments or experiences and sometimes they're snap of a finger moments. And sometimes they're like sections, eras in your life, like sections of years or seasons where you look back and you go, okay, there was transformation happening during that time. There was a switch. It wasn't instantaneous, but it took time. And so I've kind of broken up some of the eras of my life. Um, and the first one that I can think of was um, on my first mission trip. Because this was the first time that I had exposure to another country. I had never left the country before. And it was the first time that I had seen what poverty could look like in another country. And, you know, we have homelessness here in the States, in Atlanta, in the city I'm in now, Alpharetta, we have homelessness. Um, there's poverty all around us. There's people that are struggling financially. Um, I think when you go to a third world, world country, you see it through a different perspective because things look different than what you're used to seeing every day. And um, when I went to uh, Guatemala, I remember, I'll never forget, we did a house visit. And so we were serving at this mission and the mission was in one of the most dangerous areas of Guatemala city. So the, the police department splits it up into zones. I believe there's 18 zones and they go, the zones are not by, they kind of are geographical, but they don't make sense. They are by uh, danger level. So one uh. is like least dangerous where like resorts would be. And like maybe the airports in like zone four or five, there's 18 zones. One is relatively safe. 18 is most dangerous. The mission that we were serving at was in zone 18. And so the cool part about us being there, cause you're like, well, you were in high school. Why did you go to this place? If it's so dangerous, <laughs> I will tell you, um, the mission that we went to was there to, um, uh, provide resources on a daily basis. So kids of any age could come every day and receive one meal and a multivitamin and it was a place for them to do homework and be safe. Now what was happening around that mission, like literally right outside the doors was arms trade drug Lords. Um, I actually watched like a box truck pull up a bunch of dudes file out of the back with like full on machine guns. Somebody come running out of a house with like duffel bags, toss them in the back. They all jump in and it speeds away. And I was like, what the heck did I just see? It was crazy. And, um, so we're, but, but what, what made this mission untouchable was we were feeding the little brothers and sisters of all those drug dealers. And so they knew that their families were going to be safe. They knew that their siblings or their kids were taken care of because they go to the mission every day after school and they'd get a meal they'd get a multivitamin and they would have a safe place to do homework, hang out, just be kids. And so it was like, it was like an, a wall of protection from God just on this one area. And so we partnered with that mission. We went in, we served food. We, um, we met the kids, we painted, we helped update some of the missions so that there was some new resources there. And so we got to meet a lot of families. And when we were there for a whole week, like the kids come every day. So you're just hanging out with the same kids every day. And, <clears throat> um, it was a lot of work, 
there was a lot of painting. We updated all the paint. And so um, they wanted us to do some kind of project that in, invested in, in the mission. And so um, one of the days we go on a home visit for one of the kids and um, I will never forget walking into this. It's not even a house, dude. It was like sheets of metal and boards and tarps just propped up to make what might be the size of this room we're recording in, which is just one room in my house. This was their entire home, bathroom, kitchen, sleeping for like a family of five. So we walk in and they clearly have nothing. And, um, they are so full of joy, so incredibly joyful. So thankful that we're there. They were offering us food, candy, And I'm like, these people have nothing. Like they have no clue where their next meal is coming from. Yet they're sitting here welcoming me into their home filled with so much joy and offering me some of their food. And I felt so unworthy because I was like, how many times do I complain about the fact that there's not a McDonald's close by or my mom and dad made spaghetti again for dinner when I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this family and they don't know what they're going to eat tomorrow They don't even have lights to keep on yet. They're so joyful. They're so thankful. They're just praising the Lord. They're just happy and and grateful that we're there and they're excited to show us their place. And that changed my world. I had never experienced that before. I'd never seen it before. And I walked out that night and I was like, what the heck just happened? And it, it like stuck with me. And I remember journaling that night, which is not something I do often or even did often then, but I was trying to keep a daily log just so I wouldn't forget stuff. And I remember just journaling that night and going, how in the world do these people have so much joy? How in the world are they so happy when they have nothing and they have nothing by our American standards? And then I thought about all the times I've complained, all the times I complain about food, all the times I went, Oh, I'm starving. There's nothing to eat. And there's a whole pantry full of food. And it made me kind of change, um, change the way I saw things. I came home and I had a really hard time assimilating back into American life. I came home and I was, I was heartbroken and I walked into my pantry the day I flew home and I just started looking around at all the food and I was like, I can't believe I complained about this. And I opened the fridge and I've got a big family. There's seven of us. And and by that point, I'm I'm in high school. So my older siblings, I think maybe some of them are moved out. My sister is probably gone. But I'm like looking at, I'm like, we've got plenty of food. There's so many of us here. Like the freezer stocked with frozen chicken and frozen pizzas. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't be that person again. Like I just, like it just changed the way I saw things. And what I realized was, this is where the switch happened. I had come home and I was just kind of sitting with my thoughts and my feelings. And because I was on a faith-based mission trip, like I'm sitting there, I'm talking to God and I'm like, what is it about these people? And, you know, sometimes people say like, and the Lord told me, and I'm not going to sit here and say like, I heard an audible voice, but what I felt in my heart was These people know what it feels like to truly rely on God 
and Adam, you don't. And I was like, holy crap, because I never had to worry about where I was going to sleep, where I was going to eat. If I had clean water, I never had to worry for things that to me are basic necessities and almost a right. I'm entitled to those here. I've never had to consider that. But then when I saw someone else who had to, and they were filled with so much joy, it was because their faith and their trust was truly on a power far greater than them. And so then I did something that I've looked back on and I jokingly say was the dumbest decision I could have made. But I prayed a prayer that night and I said, God, test my faith. Because I want to know if I would truly rely on you if the crap hit the fan. If if all hell broke loose in my life, I would want to know that I would still choose you and that I would still trust you, that you've got my best interest in mind. And, uh, and so that prayer, like they say, careful what you wish for, careful what you pray for, because the adversity that would come after that, the next couple of years leading into the military, leading into my first marriage, leading into the career things, leading into a ton of uh, trial and error and failure. It was me going, okay, this is a test because right now I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from right now. I don't know how we're going to pay for food. My son uh, was born and I was in a really good job. And then I lost that job and got another job and I wasn't making enough to even pay the bills at our apartment. And there was a season and it's kind of crazy because I was literally building my website during this time frame. I was, I was creating and writing for, <clears throat> for this podcast in early 2019 before I had even produced an episode. First episode didn't air to 2021, but in 2019 I, I purchased the domain. I was writing, I was doing what passionately pursuing this and was waiting in line at a church that had a food pantry to get groceries. Cause I could, we could, I, I, I had no, no, no way of providing groceries for my family and I'm telling you, I went back so many times to walking into that house in Guatemala city at 17 years old and looking around and going, how in the world are these people happy? And then being in my own shack, my own turmoil, my own, desperation and still finding joy, still finding peace, still finding, um, hope. And that was, I I've, I've been able to not just experience that switch as a kid, a, a high school student, but I've been able to look back on that moment as a perspective shift that helped me to see it later in life. And now I look back and I'm like, I, I know I can totally rely. I know I can totally hope and trust and believe and have, have be filled with joy. Even when the world around you appears to be crumbling, that was the biggest shift. And it, and it continues to rock my world. Like I continue to go through things and come out on the other side. And, um, it's, it's not attributed to any type of strength or resilience that I've created on my own. It's attributed to the power and the strength that I have through God and who he's made me to be. So I, I, I approach things now with a, a, a gratitude and humility, knowing that it's not by my might, it's not by my strength that I'll be successful or that I'll be able to provide, but it's through God 
<clears throat> so that's that's the biggest, most impactful switch I think I've ever experienced because I continue to experience it on a regular basis. Yeah, that's definitely like deep, very deep, very deep stuff. Yeah. So our goal was to be here for about an hour, just yeah. so you know, which means we've got a couple minutes left. So I want to give you like we've got a whole list, but why don't you pick maybe like two or three more questions All right. to kind of wrap this up? Hopefully I'm helping. Oh yeah. Give you some this life is, lessons, but this is definitely helpful. I feel like whoever listens to this, they're going to have new outlook or something like that. But it's good. Uh, this next, these next couple of questions are going to be for mainly students. Cool. Now. Yeah. Yeah. People my age and people even younger than that. So first one, we'll start with people my age and what, what would you say to p- kids like applying to college right now? I would say apply. Um, I think there's some people that have hesitancy about applying. Um, I've started and stopped many times college. I've changed what I'm going to study a couple of times. And, um, one thing I wish I had done was just power through when I initially started. Um, God had different plans. I pursued the military. It's something I wanted and I don't regret it all. But, um, as I look back, I go, man, it probably would have made the struggle in my career early in my twenties, a little bit easier if I just had powered through and gotten my degree. Um, I do think that we need to be wise. I do think that kids applying for school today need to be wise about what they're applying for and what they, um, what their intentions are. I don't think you have to have it all figured out. And I think our culture has put so much pressure on you students to perform, perform, perform at the highest level and get into the best schools and at 17, 18, 19 years old, you're making life altering decisions for yourself, taking on student debt, taking on choosing to study something that, I mean, I hear stories all the time of people who studied something and they're not using it in their field at all. Oh yeah. And so what I would, what I would challenge you to do is if you have the resources, if you have the support and I say resources, like if financially your family is supporting you and you can do it, just do it. But don't feel the pressure to make a decision on what you're going to be for the rest of your life. My job title has changed so many times in my young 31 years. But who I've become has evolved and has gotten better as that's happened. And so um, uh, one piece of advice I gave you last night when we were hanging out last night uh, after going to a comedy show was um, get the business degree because it's a good foundation. Like I, I would suggest that to anybody, like just go get a business management degree because you can, every place where you will get employed is a business. (laughs) And so you're going to learn principles that you could apply to that job, even if it's a very dynamic position. Um, there are things I learned in the business courses I took that I, um, uh, kind of helped shape my perspective and helped me to better understand how I lead in my career today. Um, I didn't study software. I didn't study cybersecurity. That's the the field I'm in now. No, I was just doing basic business classes and some uh, biblical theology and pastoral ministry. Those were like the two focuses I had when I was going to school. Yeah. So um, if you don't know, it's okay. If you've got the resources, do it. Um, and uh, yeah, um, don't get advice from, 30 different people. Oh yeah. Have a core group, have a core 
<clears throat> um, I would say most parents, not all parents, because unfortunately our world is not perfect. And, um, but I would say most parents, if you're gearing up for college and you're listening to this, they want the best for you. They just want you to make a wise decision. They want you to, um, be successful. Um, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter where you go to school. Um, what matters is that you learn to learn well, you learn how to be a student because what, what I think higher education does for people is it helps them to maintain a student like outlook. I had a a professor one time tell me never lose the essence of what it means to be a lifelong learner. Now he was the Dean of our school and a professor. He taught, I think one course, but he was the Dean of the school, small school, small Christian school. But he told me that every summer he will go away to a different seminary, stay in a dorm like a 19 year old and take a summer class, do like a one week or two week intensive because he doesn't want to lose the attitude of being a learner. And so I think that is probably what's most important. And if you are going into college and like, I just don't know what to do and I'm tired of all this pressure, just go, I'm just going to go learn to learn. Yeah. Just keep an open mind. So, So there you go. All right. Two more questions. Go for it. And we're good. All right. So now we're going to focus on uh, a few. It could be students and it could be adults. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to the risk takers? Um, I would say there is something so exciting and thrilling about calculated risks. Um, as long as you uh, be smart, like right now, today, um, when we're recording this, it's October 20th, 2023. It'll probably, this episode will probably, I'll probably put it out next week. Yeah. Um, this I'm sitting on a exciting risk that I want to take. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell anybody what it is, at least publicly on this podcast, but I'm sitting on some exciting, thrilling risks. And, um, I would say continue to take risks. Um, Uh, Michael Jordan talks about missing shots, um, you know, but some of the game winners, if you go watch the last dance during the, their, their two runs at a three beat, unbelievable. Um, You've got people that have tried. I mean, you go back to Thomas Edison, like he says, I, I didn't fail. I found out a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb. And the key was to finding one way to make it work. And so risk takers are people that impact others. And um, so I would say continue to take risks. Just be smart. You know, take care of yourself. Take care of your body. Drink water. Get good sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Eat healthy foods. But take risks. Like um, that's something that I still love to do. And as I just lit up because I'm so excited about the potential risk I might take, it's like, man, it's fun. Like it keeps things exciting and thrilling and you never know what could happen on the other side of that. Oh yeah. So. All right. Last question. Yeah. What do you, what would you say to the people that like to stay home and do nothing like the shut ins (laughs) of the society? Yeah. I think, um, personality wise, there's people that are more introverted. Um, I don't think success, it leans one way or the other. Um, I don't think that, um, the quality of a human being is based on whether or not they're an introvert or an extrovert. I think um, it's important to know who you are and your personality and how you can recharge and fuel. 
So personality wise, I'm an extrovert. I love to talk. I love to meet new people. Um, and that's who I am. So I get a lot of joy and, uh, it fills my emotional cup to talk to people, to meet new people and, and learn from them. Um, or just to have a bunch of people over at the house and hang out like we're going to do today. Oh yeah. Um, for introverts, sometimes the way that they charge, the way that they refuel is to spend time on their own, which I've kind of tapped into some of my introverted side where I value some of my alone time, some of my uh, one-on-one time. What I would say the danger is lies. People of both personality types, when laziness starts to set in, mm. and you kind of alluded to like the people that stay home and don't do anything, um, there are lazy extroverts and there are lazy introverts <clears throat> and, um, very seldom do lazy people achieve. And I don't think there's anything wrong with desiring success and desiring uh, a full life. But in order to do that, you have to be, you, you can't be lazy. You have to, you have to work hard and, um, Hard work more than anything, I think, sets the groundwork for uh, remarkable success to take place. So many people, because of social media, want to become viral, want an instantaneous success. They want their business to immediately take off. They want, they want the success. They want the result, but they don't want the process to get the result. Oh yeah. And that's what holds people back often. So for somebody that's struggling with that, you have to make a change. And I've talked about this on other episodes, small incremental changes over long periods of time, create the most impact. Start to adjust when you wake up, start to get yourself out of the house, start to choose instead of Netflix, I'm going to podcast instead of, um, you know, just listening to random music. I'm going to read, um, uh, leaders are readers. You've got to read. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to ch- achieve success, you have to learn. You have to learn from other people. Uh, yeah, I can actually say like whenever I became a section leader this year for a marching band, I had bought three books. Yeah. One was on leadership. Two was on how to make a team work. Yep. And the third one was how to play an instrument. I broke down everything I knew and recreated it. Yeah. is less about, playing the instrument and more about how you lead. Yes. And that's literally what this podcast is designed for is to give people a resource to help them lead better, to help them make an impact in the people around them. And the whole idea is that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter your position. I say your position does not determine your potential to impact the culture around you. You can make a difference whether or not you're a leader by title, you can lead yourself and therefore impact others, which makes you a leader of others. So, um, I would say to those people, it's time to gear up. Oh yeah. You got to get off your butt and you got to get after it. Like you just have to get up early, take a cold shower every now and then like do things that are uncomfortable. And the more uncomfortable things you do, the more you will pursue greatness. And I think at the end of the day, deep down, we all want something great. We all want to achieve something. We want to be successful. The difference between, I I heard this the other day on a podcast. It was so cool. Um, Who was it that said it? A hilarious comedian named Jimmy Carr. I Mm -hmm. don't necessarily recommend going and watching all his specials because he can be (laughs) 
real out there, but he's very funny. And he was talking about, there's two different types of people. Everybody wants success. Everybody wants to be like, uh, maybe not famous, but wants desire something. Yeah. And maybe there's almost like a, um, a jealous want that's maybe not even entirely bad to want something so much. Um, but the difference is that some people, when, when somebody looks at the situation and goes, I really want this to happen. Um, and it's your job to make it happen for me. That's entitlement. That's when people are more entitled and believe that their success is tied to somebody else making it happen for them. The people that are achieving, that are, um, have this ambition are the ones that say, I want this, I want that goal, I want this success, and I'm going to go figure out how to make it freaking happen. Yeah. And that's the difference between somebody who, um, uh, the mindset of a person. And I think laziness plays into a lot of that. So um, what I would say to those people that are maybe struggling, it's okay. You can start wherever you're at. I don't care if you're a hundred pounds overweight. I don't care if you're, you've missed the, the bandwagon on getting your college applications done this school year, get up and start getting after it. Work at it every day. You do something to better yourself every day. You get 1% better every day, just a smidge better every day. And a hundred days from then you're going to look back and go, Holy crap, look where I've come. And, um, you'll be able to achieve more than you thought possible from the vantage point of sitting and just being lazy. So that's my encouragement. It's not easy. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you have to think, okay, am I willing to sacrifice short-term gratification for long-term gain? What's the end goal? And truly, I think where most people transform their minds and transform their perspective is when they realize there really is no end goal. It's just commitment to the process. I'm not trying to get to a certain place. I'm just trying to keep going. And I think when people do that, they do extraordinary things. And I think you, Hudson, are going to do extraordinary things. I've, we've talked offline about your passions. I'm excited to see where your life takes you. Um, and I hope that this conversation that we've had has been a benefit to not just you, but um, you, your fellow students that may listen to this, um, the listeners that we have that regularly listen to this, my mom who listens to this. Both our moms will definitely listen to this one. Hi, mom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I hope uh, that it's been helpful for them too. So small heads up, all this uh, probably going to be played in class as well. Sweet. So everything that's been said today, is, no matter what, it's going to hit younger audiences. Awesome. And I'm sure if they enjoy it, they'll probably go back, watch episodes, recommend yeah. it to their friends, all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, listen, it's for anybody, anybody in any stage of their life or career, you can be graduating high school and start learning how to be a better leader and impactor of your culture. It'll get you way ahead. There oh, are people yeah. that, that still don't get this. And, um, so I want you to have a resource. Yeah. There's plenty of great episodes. I interviewed my mom on one. You can go back and listen <laughs> to that one. It's fun. Interviewed my brother. Um, have interviewed some really, really cool people. And now I remember you told me last night, like you interviewed, uh, your boss at one point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both. I've had, I've had two bosses, two um, bosses on the on show, you, which has been fun. Yeah. All right. They've got cool experiences. Um, 
uh, people from different backgrounds, people in uh, marketing and social media, people, entrepreneurs, um, people in health and safety, people in um, a psychologist, a, a counselor. Um, I interviewed a good friend of mine who, who she has a private practice and, and does therapy with people. Um, so yeah, I really want a variety of experiences and people that have different perspectives and, um, hopefully the perspective that I got to share today is helpful to our listeners and I'm just, uh, thankful for the opportunity. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks for letting me do this. Of course, man. Anytime. Well, uh, thank you uh, to our listeners for tuning in for this episode. I hope that you've um, learned a couple things that you can take away uh, from the bottom of my heart. That's that is my goal. Anytime I, I hit record on this podcast, it's to provide practical and tangible content that makes it easier for you to build a better culture. Um, everyone that listens to this is a culture builder and you have the capacity to do great things. So I hope that this helps Hudson. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this with you. And thanks for being willing to let me post it. Um, on the podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple podcasts, continue to listen. I'm going to get more regular. We've got the home studio set up, uh, dialed in. So we should be getting more content pumped out here. Um, and, uh, and then eventually this will end up on YouTube. So there's a video that way. And we appreciate you watching and being able to see our facial expressions and what we look like and what we're doing over here. Um, so Tune in again soon because we will continue to bring you practical and tangible content that helps you build a more synergetic culture. Uh, Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Hudson. Love you, brother. And uh, we'll hang out again soon. Probably. Sounds good, man. Yeah, most (laughs) definitely. All right. We'll catch you guys later on the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode. To learn more about Synergetic Culture, we invite you to go to SynergeticCulture.com. Sign up to receive our weekly podcast and blog, and then connect with us on social media. We want to be connected to you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe to the podcast and then share our show with the people around you so they too can build a synergetic culture. This episode was written and recorded by Adam Bieber, founder and CEO of Synergetic Culture. Synergetic Culture is a registered trademark of Adam Bieber and the Synergetic Culture Company.